Herb Alper and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. It's come to my attention that the NFL playoffs have started. It's a well-known fact that there's no better place to turn for crack NFL analysis than Brian Burke's advanced NFL stats site. It's with that entirely true fact in mind that I have invited Mr. Burke himself to be the guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. And what follows, Brian and I discuss a number of footballing issues that will appeal to the baseball nerd including, although decidedly not limited to, the best team not to make the playoffs this year, the worst team, the Denver Broncos, to make the NFL playoffs. Brian provides a sane, hysteria-free explanation of Tim Tebow's actual value to the Denver Broncos and what it is that's helped the Broncos make the playoffs and beat the Steelers. As Brian, what has made this season such an excellent one for passing. And finally, I hold a metaphorical gun to Brian's head, and ask for his predictions throughout the remainder of the NFL playoffs. Beyond those comments, I will also add that if you care for the podcast, that it has changed your life and has made you a better person, that you go to the show's page at iTunes, give it a five-star rating, and provide a brief but soulful comment about what precisely it means to you and your life. That's what you can do. That's how you can play your part. Playing his part on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Mr. Brian Burke of Advanced NFL Stats right now. up games and um from his whole career like even when he was like a rookie uh yeah it was cool i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess he's pretty entertaining or is he just kind of generic oh no he's hilarious he's absolutely hilarious he, 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 the guy's just you can't help but love the guy he's just too cool do you foresee well i have two things with regard to that uh, one of them is actually picks up i pretty close to where we left off uh the last time you were on which was um, we were having a conversation about the sort of the, the sort of qualities that make a good quarterback, and you know uh, besides having sort of minimal physical tools, and of course there have been a number of NFL quarterbacks who've failed wildly, uh, despite the fact that they possess those tools um, in great quantity. And one of the things mm-hmm. you were discussing, and, and you could, you were sort of using your own experience, was that of the the same skills that might make a good uh, fighter pilot, which is an ability to make decisions despite sort of like a great deal of chaos um, yeah. in the surrounding way. And I guess like, do you do you do you think there's a link? Do you think there's a, a link between Aaron Rodgers' ability to to sort of joke around or that sense of humor and and uh, maybe insouciance? I think that's a word, insouciance, carefree <laughs> nature. Uh, do you think that's linked at all to that ability? Because he's also he, uh, he's also an excellent decision maker on the field. Yeah, um, I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting question. We can speculate. I don't have any evidence either way. Um, I've you know since I was a pilot, um, that's kind of what how I that's how I best relate to these guys. You know, I kind of imagine you know they're in this kind of chaotic situation and there's sort of physical mortal danger all around you and um you know your your whole kind of career hangs in the balance on basically any decision you make um so you're and everybody's watching you know everything's being taped uh and recorded and can be analyzed and picked apart so 
I imagine the uh, there are some similarities, especially psychologically. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of a sense of humor, and um, you know, it definitely adds a perspective and helps you um, helps you kind of put things put things in the right place where um, you know people make mistakes, helps you come back from mistakes. Um, helps you deal with expectations from other people and uh, it's kind of an outlet for kind of the danger I know in in my flying days we were always at our funniest when we were most scared oh yeah yeah I mean I guess that happens what do they call that like a gallows humor like sublimation or yeah I'm sorry well I think gallows humor is a term that I've heard before I oh think, which, yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah right but which is yeah, to sort of say like, like that. there's nothing but there's really nothing between you and y- your realization that you are mortal is, is essentially the idea yeah i think there's like some selection effect or selection bias going on so if you're aaron Rodgers and you're dropping and dropping and, and you're in, in that that first round of that draft and you think you're going to be the number one or number two pick and then you, you just it's humiliating and you're, you're on TV and you're there in the green room and every time, you know, a pick is announced, the camera's in your face. And if you don't have, if you don't have the right perspective or a good, you know, kind of way of dealing with those things, you're going to, you're going to weed yourself out. You're just not going to be able to recover from that. And so it's not that I think we just, you see a certain type of personality kind of bubble up to the top in certain professions simply because they, they have uh, certain qualities that let them deal with those situations. And they're not always good. You know, they could be cockiness and arrogance, and they can be, uh, you know, even just kind of stupidity. Or like in, uh, maybe like excessive competitiveness, too. I know that's sort of something that's followed um, yeah, Michael Jordan yeah, around, for example, in basketball. Like, uh, it was fine as long as he was, like, really good at something, like, for example, basketball. But he, he doesn't seem yeah. like he's had the happiest life post-playing career because he's not really good at like like uh, unless like you're able to conspicuously like display your talents all the time. Just being a normal yeah. dude, you can't. There's not really a, like an outlet for that. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of like uh, a lot of different ways you can kind of deal with that pressure and that attention. You know, I think of like a guy like Jay Cutler who is not very popular. You know, he just doesn't kind of care what you think, and um, yeah, you know, he's unapologetic about it. You know, or a guy like Philip Rivers is just you know sort of hyper competitive guy. And that's how he deals with it. Ben Roethlisberger seems like he doesn't know what's good for him. You know, he's he's competitive to the point of you know his left leg falling off, and he'll go out there, um, and that that's a, maybe a good thing, a good trait. But in in the long run, it's yeah, it's going to catch up to them. Right. All right. Well, so uh, this is the armchair psychology portion of, of the podcast. I'm glad we could uh, get that out of the way. Yeah, we're at sort of an opportune moment right now to talk because the wild card uh, games were last weekend, or this most recent weekend, and then we have, I guess, the the first round of – I mean, it's you know it, it was the playoffs last week, but this, now we have the divisional games coming up, and so we're sort of nicely positioned – both to look back um, at the regular season and you know kind of its conclusion, and then also to look ahead and uh, uh, also to force you to make um, 
to make uh, to make statements, bolder statements than you probably would care to. Uh, I I mm-hmm. think probably uh, well, let's start with the regular season. I guess um, I was looking over uh, Zach Sanders' piece uh, um, regarding the end of season rankings. It looked like probably the Eagles. Uh, were the best team not to make the playoffs. The Steelers uh, were the best team overall, and of course, they don't need to even in the playoffs anymore. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. th- those two points or anything else of note uh, coming out of just sort of the the end of the regular season for you? Yeah, I would say. Well, to touch on the Eagles, right? They they were really very ranked, ranked what number five or so in terms of efficiency, and um, they and they didn't make the playoffs. The the big thing about them is, um, you know, they just had a really bad run of, of luck um, just uh, kind of early in the season to mid-season, but they came on strong at the end of the year. I mean, they if you, like, looked at their, their point spreads and just kind of the betting market, they were heavily favored um, in the last several weeks and uh, against competitive playoff-bound teams, too. And they would um, – we, we had this guy at the community, at the community site, um, Michael Bayoy, I think I'm pronouncing his name uh, right, but he he did this study where he took all the the point spreads from each week and for about five weeks, you know, the most recent five weeks, and would sort of back compute what each team's kind of uh, you know ranking should be based on those paired pairwise matchups of each game, and so that kind of was a really good estimate of what sort of the, the real experts with money on it thought of each team. And the Eagles, sure enough, were, were right up there near the top. So, yeah, I don't I don't apologize for, for ranking the, the Eagles that highly. I think they were that good and just and, and were burned um, in the middle of the season there with some really, really bad luck. Now, the, yeah, the now, team, yeah. the, well, so an interesting thing is Pittsburgh finished first overall uh, in the in the – Per the efficiency rankings or the model, uh, and they they were uh, they came into Denver to play a team that does uh, I think it was the worst team to make the playoffs, and also of yep. course has like the the headline producing machine named Ted, uh, Tim Tebow, uh, and then if things happened. Uh, I mean I think your model predicted that about an eighty percent chance for Pittsburgh to win, yeah. and that didn't happen. Because Tim Tebow yeah. did it. Tebow, yeah. <laughs> he really is amazing. And, um, you know, I've been saying for weeks and weeks that, you know, his, his luck is going to run out. And, uh, you know, he is a, you know, kind of maybe break-even um, player it, once you factor in the running. But it, he, the way the reason he's really winning and the team's really winning is, you know, one defense, two special teams, three really good luck, and then after that, kind of Tebow. But um, and then the final three weeks of the season were all essentially must-win games for them, and they they lost all three. So, you know, I wouldn't put too much stock in that one win over Pittsburgh. One, they're at home. Number two, uh, Roethlisberger was obviously um, slowed. His maneuverability just wasn't there. You know, they they were missing. Um, uh, their safety, uh, can't remember his name at the moment, who had the, the sickle cell problem, couldn't play at high altitudes. Clark, I believe. Right, right, uh, right. There were a number of other, you know, uh, Marquise Pouncey was out, their starting center, uh, who's kind of an all pro. Um, and uh, 
So basically what had to happen is Denver had to play their best game ever, and the Steelers were going to have to play their worst game ever. And even then, it kind of took overtime for Denver to come out ahead. So if we rematch these teams, you know, 100 different times, I think, I still think the Steelers would win 80 of those. Yeah, I mean, well, I, if they were to play football 100 times, especially over, you know, a short period, they'd probably all be injured. I imagine so. It might be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that might be. Might uh, run out, out of gauze pads. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> does, does Tebow, so, so let's, I, I guess, I assume that a, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the the popular narratives about Tebow, and then and then the sort of I guess the popular celebrations of Tebow as a player who wills his team to victory, uh, and then the sort of popular rebuttals to those that you know he, he's a quarterback who doesn't pass. Would you give us just sort of like from what you've observed and from what the numbers tell us? Could you give us a, a basic description of Tebow, just a very sane, and and make it as boring as you want, but just so we know what Tebow is as a as a player? Sure. Well, yeah, Tebow is is a um, he's a quarterback who is probably right-handed, but he's not. He just doesn't know it, and so he throws with his left hand, <laughs> and it really looks awkward. It just looks terrible. I think that's the main problem. Somebody should go up to him and let him know. He's probably right-handed, but he, uh, yeah, he's he's this option-style quarterback kind of college um, strategy, which is really interesting to me um, because it, it's new and different and forces defenses to prepare in a different way. I think you know it forces sometimes it forces defenses to overthink it. I think if the defenses ran more kind of base base for, formations and base scheme against him, um, they would they would be more successful. But, uh, yeah, so when he throws, he throws deep. And um, so you're not going to see him with a high completion percentage. And a lot of people will look at these numbers, you know, conventional statistics, and say, oh, but look at his completion percentage. Yeah, that's pretty low. He's not a very accurate quarterback. Uh, I agree with that. But that sort of it doesn't paint the full picture. When he throws, he throws deep because there's no, there's no check down. He doesn't throw these little check down passes to the running backs or these bubble screens very often. He's his own check down. Well, a lot like Michael Vick. Vick had, you know, very low completion number, percentage numbers himself. And so he'll, he'll run it. He'll take it. He'll scramble out of the pocket. Um, and, uh, so you, you, the conventional numbers are kind of going to be misleading. They're going to underrate him as a passer. But, um, but you know, the, the kind of stats we use here at advanced NFL stats account for all that. Uh, he's still kind of a break even guy, he, even with all these heroics. Um, but that, that, that wild card game last weekend was something else. He was, he was off the charts with, uh, yards per attempt, which is a pretty, pretty reliable measure of, uh, you know, predictor of success too. He, he would just connected for these really, really long passes. Um, and he just happened to hit him, hit him on Sunday. Right. And, and, and I'll add, uh, I've, uh, in a clandestine manner, I've, I've, uh, gone to the quarterback's player page, the player stats page at Advanced NFL Stats, and um, there, uh, I think a deep pass is defined as, as 15 yards or more. That's that's accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Number two... Oh, no, longer, actually, yeah, just longer than 15. Right. Uh, the Number two on the list is Carson Palmer. Uh, in, a, in a somewhat abbreviated sample, just 10 games, uh, uh, 28% of his passes have been of the deep variety, classified as deep, his pass attempts. Yeah. Tebow 
is at 35.5%. So yeah. roughly, the, I mean, the difference between Tebow and Palmer uh, is roughly the difference between, that's, you know, between first and second is the difference between second and, like, 18th. Yep. So, yeah. so that's what we're dealing um, with. The big thing about Tebow, too, is he doesn't tend to turn it over. At least in, in the games which he's won, you know, that's been really, really the key. Is he just doesn't he doesn't cough it up when he gets hit, and he just doesn't throw interceptions. Part of the reason he doesn't throw interceptions, he just doesn't throw that often. Um, so, uh, you know, they play a style. They want to keep the score close and hope something miraculous happens at the end. And you know, that that's pretty much how they've won, um, all except maybe two games in this kind of stretch since Tebow took over. And, you know, you can roll the dice, and, and uh, they're only two games away from the Super Bowl. There's, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put any money on them making it through New England and then uh, the next game, but uh, either Baltimore or Texas. But, uh, but it could happen. Here, things have happened. And so as long as they just kind of keep the game close and kind of roll the dice at the end, um, you know, who knows? Now, uh, well, I want to get to, to some of these uh, upcoming playoff games uh, in a moment. I want to ask, though, again, just for a, f- for the sort of sane uh, explanation, the grounded explanation for uh, this year's um, – it's not an absolute explosion, but the sort of remarkable feats that uh, quarterbacks have been performing in terms of total passing yards – uh, of course, we saw Drew Brees set the single-season record, passing Dan Marino. Uh, Tom Brady and uh, and Aaron Rodgers also had really crazy seasons. Uh, I'm curious as to what the sort of just like totally grounded explanation is for that. Yeah, why we why we're seeing such an explosion? I, I think when we see something kind of this off the charts, there's there's a bunch of reasons all kind of you know, a confluence of factors all pushing in the same direction. So, I mean, everything from, you know, relatively mild winter, you know, to really, really healthy quarterbacks who didn't have a lot of nagging injuries in the off season. There's a lockout. They were, um, you know, they're able to stay healthy. And uh, so we, we started the season with a full complement of starters minus one obvious uh, Pete Manning. And um, otherwise, though, I think we had a healthy, relatively healthy crop of quarterbacks this year. Um, I think a lot of the attention got focused in the first maybe five or six weeks of the season when things were really off the charts. Things have regressed since then to, to a more normal level, but it regressed towards a, a really, you know, historically high level too. I mean, the, the kind of the bigger trend is that slowly um, but surely yards per attempt and uh, total yards have been creeping up even over the past 10 years, 11 years. I think we've gone from 220 yards per game per team to 240, you know, about a a 10% increase uh, just in the past 10 years. Plus teams are actually passing more. Teams are learning. um, They're slowly learning that running is really buying them very little uh, in the modern game. And uh, passing is is what really moves the ball and what scores points and wins games. So they're they're passing more often. That that's slowly evolving. So there's just simply more attempts. And if you look at compare Breeze to Marino, um, yeah, Breeze simply had a hundred more attempts in the season. About uh, hmm. uh, 
not, I wrote an article on I can't say maybe it was even more, 120 more attempts, something like that. So there's a lot of things going on there. And, um, you know, obviously the rule changes have made a big, big effect on, you know, contact with receivers and helmet-to-helmet hits. Uh, most recently, there's been a renewed focus. I mean, even if even when the league and the NFL doesn't change the rules, it can change the focus. Just like, you know, in baseball, for example, the, uh, they'll tell the umpires, hey, you know, refocus on the strike zone, and they'll send out, you know, uh, guidance, and, that, and there's always intrigue there. But the league will send out guidance to refs on, you know, illegal contact downfield on receivers, and that'll change the balance. We won't really see it, you know, until the numbers come out. We won't know that's what's going on, but but the effect will be felt. Well, I know that, that you've, um, you, you've noted that uh, 1978 really marks the beginning of uh, the sort of pass-dominated culture in, in the NFL. However, it took, it took some time, uh, even then, for, for coaches really to adapt to the rule changes. Yeah, no, I mean, they're still adapting. They still really haven't fully exploited what that, that change was in 1978. So just for everybody's uh, edification, in 1978, before that, you could maul receivers downfield. You could knock them over, hit them, push them, just maul them. When the ball's in the air, yeah, there was pass interference, just like there is today. But until the ball's in the air, you could just you could just maul these guys. So um, after 1978, you couldn't do that anymore. Also, blocking, pass blocking was completely different. You could block now with your kind of arms extended, just you know the modern blocking style. You can have your hands out and push on the guy. Before before that rule change in 78, you had to have your arms in against your chest. Right, right. Yeah, like you were, like right. bars, right? Like a bar across like your chest, that? essentially. Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, you just kind of make it like little chicken wings and kind of push on, on the guy. I mean, can you imagine trying to block, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor doing that? I mean, it, so... Um, I don't want to you know, think about that. No, I don't. I don't want to think about yeah. that. Although now, now that you have brought up chicken wings, I'm, I'm thinking about that more. Yeah. So, I mean, my point with the whole kind of Breeze-Marino comparison is that, yeah, it's true the league has changed, and yes, it's true that these, you know, we're really kind of comparing apples and oranges, and it's not a really pure record um, the same way in baseball. You know, these records are, are kind of sacrosanct, and the game has, has changed very little over time. In football, the game, the sport has evolved so much more. So you can't really compare um, – Breeze to, to Marinos, but that doesn't really take, I wouldn't take anything away from, from Breeze's accomplishment. That's a huge accomplishment, and I think the fact that it took so long, it took what, 26 years or something uh, for 27 years for Marino's record to be broken in an age when passing numbers continue to inflate year after year after year, says something about that that year uh, Marino had in 84. Uh, but at the same time... Oh yeah, go, yeah well, do it. Well, Keep uh, doing well, it. Same time, same time, 84 was only a few years after that 78 rule change. And so that record itself was, you know, should have an asterisk. There's nothing pure about any of these records. None of these records at all in the NFL are the record or the pure, the pure number. Well, you have to adjust them according to the, their era and, and other sorts yeah. of contexts. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you can do kind of like the plus metrics. I know you guys have like OPS plus and things like that in baseball. You can do the same thing with these numbers and kind of count the number st- standard deviations and things, kind of compare those guys. You're singing, you're singing my song right now. Standard deviations. I love a yeah. good standard deviation, Brian Burke. The uh, let's look ahead to this weekend. We have uh, we don't have to belabor any of these games, but maybe just like a quick capsule. We have uh, New Orleans at San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco, of course, is the home team, ranked 13th. Uh, you know, the end of the season rankings for advanced NFL stats. New Orleans ranked third, so New Orleans theoretically the better team, but playing away from home. Uh, idea there, mm-hmm. story there. The story there is that um, even though the uh, San Francisco has a better record and they've got the number two seed, uh, New Orleans is the better team. And uh, the reason is the quarterbacks. We just talked about Breeze. He's having an insane, and just incredible, insanely great year. Um, the weather in San Francisco is going to be fine. So I don't think there's going to be a really big drop off. You know, we worry about these dome teams on the road in January, but, and a lot of that is the wind and the cold. That's not going to be there in San Francisco. It's supposed to be nice. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, San Francisco definitely haven't, you know, the, the standard home field advantage here, but, uh, but they've got, they've also got their standard Alex Smith under center, who's played about as well as he possibly can play all season. So we've pretty much seen his, his, uh, his limit, his upside. He can't really get any better. Um, so I really think, uh, the Saints are, um, pretty strong favorites here. You, oh, you think they're strong? Yeah, and I guess I mean, with the home field advantage for San Francisco, that evens it out a little bit. It seems like it should be a good game regardless. Yeah, I'm excited to see anytime you see that kind of unstoppable force, immovable object type matchup where you have this great offense versus uh, you know, great defense. It's intriguing, um, and usually, usually, you know, it's a pretty good game. But I'll tell you that the, the great offense, the unstoppable force usually prevails over the immovable object. And and the reason is because um, offenses and, and quarterbacks in particular are the prime determinant of game outcomes. They really, the distribution in, in, in terms of outcomes, in terms of points scored and allowed and yards and all these different stats we use, the distribution is really, really wide for offenses. And it's relatively narrow for um Defenses, and the reason is, is offenses are. It's more about who you are as an offense. For defenses, your outcome is primarily based on who you're playing against as an offense. So you, you're kind of the victim. You're, a defense is more like a bystander and a victim of the offense um, than than anything else. Not completely, just kind of slightly. It's just a way to think about it. Do teams so, know that? Do teams? Uh, like, I don't do, think so. Do the Jacksonville Jaguars know that? I mean, they started Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> no, the Jaguars were all defense. They had a really, really good defense and, and um, a league-leading defense. And uh, so you can keep the score close and kind of just like the Broncos, you keep the score close with that defense and then kind of hope the breaks go your way at the end of the game. You get some critical penalty calls on the other team and you make some great catches here and there. You make a couple plays. and The other guy misses his field goal and, and you win. And you, you, it's really the roll of the dice. Um, and the, uh, yeah, the, the Jaguars, the, you know, they, they lost all those gambles. Um, they're pretty unlucky. But, uh, and, but San Francisco was on the other end of that stick and they got, they, they won those 
kind of dice rolls. So, um, so, so we'll see. Okay, uh, Denver at New England is the Saturday night game, and uh, that's a rematch of a game that happened like what, like four weeks ago, right? And in New England yeah. crushed Denver, or at least you know by twenty something points. Yeah, if anybody's going to figure out how to, you know, kind of game plan against the this this option option um, type attack that Denver's been using, it's going to be um, Belichick, and he's already done it. They've already had success against Denver, um, and uh, so you know they're they're at home, uh, and all the numbers point in the Patriots' direction. Well, you sort of mentioned it too it, that there could be the, there's the possibility of over scheming, right? Because even the best running teams are still mediocre teams, typically, uh, you know, if they have an average yeah. defense attached to them. And so if you just let a team run and, you know, and avoid any sort of deep strikes and don't get sucked in by play-action passes, which, you know, maybe is easier than it, than it sounds, but don't overplay, uh, don't overplay the run, just let, it, let a team, you know, gain yeah. some yards uh that way then then you're gonna you're gonna win right it's, it, it you're sort of just you're allowing them to beat themselves at that point yeah i would i would love for a team to try to beat me with the run now it, that's a little tricky you can't you can't drop your guard against the run that much because just the way the rules of football work you get four downs to get 10 yards so if i you know if i can get three and a third yards on every carry, I'm unstoppable. You can't. You'll never stop me. I'll score a touchdown every single drive. So there's something about the you, you, there's the, this critical kind of inflection point in the in the yardage you can give up on running plays beyond in, that overall offensive production explodes if you can get above you know five yards per carry or something like that. It becomes very very difficult. So. You can't you can't completely drop your guard against it, but you can't be completely scared of it either. All right, uh, then the su- Sunday, the early game on Sunday is Houston at Baltimore. Uh, Houston uh, had their well, they, they beat Cincinnati, and uh, your your uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, they had a bye, and uh, yeah. I guess Houston has T.J. Yates, and he's he's. TJ Yates, yeah. He's, he's, he's just playing, fine, apparently. Yeah, he's playing really well. Um, the you know the point spread on this game is heavily favoring Baltimore, and I don't buy it. I think um, it's a very slight Baltimore advantage. Um, the, first of all, the Texans' defense is for real. Everybody talks about the Baltimore offense. They have all these big stars, and they go to the Pro Bowl. I mean, even Ed Reed is an all-pro this year, AP all-pro, but he didn't do anything this year. Ed Reed had... had really silent year. Um, so you have all these big stars in Baltimore, but you know what? The Texans' defense was great this year, all season long. So um, Baltimore already won uh, a contest with Matt Schaub as the quarterback for, for Houston, but Andre Johnson was out that week. Um, and they won a pretty solid game, won it pretty solidly. So I think, uh, I think though, that People are, are favoring Baltimore too much here. I think it's pretty pretty slight advantage for them. Okay, yeah, the, yeah, the te- uh, the Texans really did have it. Apparently, uh, the the situation with T.J. Yates also sort of brings up the idea of uh, a quarterbacks' specific ability versus the sort of the degree to which the system allows a quarterback to succeed. Uh, and I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's proof, but it, it was certainly notable 
uh, to see Matt Flynn in uh, in a cameo role, cr- uh, throwing for 480 yards and six touchdowns against the Lions. I, I mean, s- setting records both for yards in the game and also yeah. touchdowns in the game. Uh, you know, it's it it certainly again it's, it's proof of nothing, but it does you know raise the point that you know maybe the Packers system, for example, just is just amenable to to excellent quarterback play, excellent passing. You know, maybe it's the same thing with the Texans too. Well, I think the the Texans, for what I can, and I'm not an expert on X's and O's, but from what I've you know kind of heard secondhand and and what I trust and believe is they with Yates they really scale back. The playbook, and they divide the field in half, and they give him, you know, a short read and a deep read instead of you know, four different um, reads on, on a pass play. Um, they use a lot of kind of play action rollout type plays that really kind of fit him uh, really well. So they they can't do that many things, um, but uh, but enough things. And Andre Johnson can can make a play on you for sure. Guy like Flynn. You know, Look like the the playbook was wide open for him. Looks like he can handle um, he can handle anything. I don't know how hard the Lions were were coming at him that week, but if you're you know if you're kind of like a, a Bayesian type guy and you think, well, okay, Flynn is let's start at put him in average. We think he's an average. We just don't know very much about him. And you look at those few games that he has played in. You have to move him. Out, you know, up to the right on the graph, and say, yeah, he's probably an above-average quarterback. Right. Yeah, I, I assume that that will not escape the attention of other teams uh, at such a point as he becomes available via free agency. Yeah, I think you know the Redskins. Um, yeah, I live here in D.C. and and definitely they they're in a tight spot because they're desperate for a quarterback, and their their spot in the draft is too high to to get. You know the, the third quarterback who that's going to be out there, and they're they're I think they're drafting six, which is too low to get, you know obviously Luck or, or Griffin. So they might be in the uh, the Flynn sweepstakes. Uh, and then finally, the uh, the last game is is uh, New York Giants at Green Bay. New York Giants uh, crushed Atlanta uh, twenty four to two last time, and, and and I think for the second straight year Atlanta was was in the playoffs. Uh, and for the second straight year, I think they had gotten kind of lucky. So that might be the sort of uh, luck coming back to get them as opposed to the Giants really crushing them. Is that your read of the game, or uh, am, I, am I off? Yeah, my story on this game is, is that um, Green Bay, the Giants are better than people think. They look at their record and they think, okay, they squeaked into the playoffs, they had to win the last three games just to get in. They what? They finished nine and seven. They're a better team than that. Just the same way the Green Bay was a better team than their ten and six last year. Um, and Green Bay's the other the other story is Green Bay's defense. Um, by many measures, a lot of conventional measures have them at the dead you know bottom of the league in terms of team defense, and that's really misleading. Um, you know, I think they're closer to middle of the pack defense. They're not as good as they were last year, but uh, they're definitely not at the bottom of the league the way kind of their total yards would would suggest. Well, does it have uh, quite a lot to do with the fact that they basically have entered the second half of every game this season uh, with with better than a ninety percent chance of winning said game? Yeah, yeah. They, 
you know, what happens is it, it becomes a time equation, you know, it becomes a you know time-based equation. Like, I'll let you have, you know, 20 points. As long as you don't get that 21st point, you know, in 30 minutes, um, I win. So I'm going to keep, and I'm going to keep scoring points along the way too. So it's going to be really hard. I'll let you get these yards and let you get these points, but I'm only going to give you the middle of the field. So you're going to have to um, shoot up a lot of clock to get those points and those yards. Um, so it's, it's a clock game as much as it is a, a point game, and that's what the that's what the Packers have been doing. The other the, the big thing, of course, is turnovers too. When teams are that far behind, they're they're just throwing the ball all over the place. They're going to get a lot of yards, and but they're also going to give up a lot of interceptions too. And that's Green Bay's been able to capitalize on that. And and so so you like Green Bay in this game then? Yeah, I do. I like them, uh, but not as much as uh, um, a lot of folks are. Uh, I think probably less so than the consensus. Right, and then uh, if if pressed uh, with a gun to your head, uh, and I don't know why someone would do that to you, Brian, and I hope that doesn't happen. But in the event that someone uh, it's happened before. Yeah, in the event that someone did that, uh, who's what's your Super Bowl? I guess, and then your Super Bowl victor. Uh, Super Bowl would be um, Green Bay, uh, New England, and I think the victor would be Green Bay. I think with a gun to my head, um, I am. Yeah, I think that New Orleans is going to be a challenge. If that game were down in in the Superdome, um, yeah, I think it would it would be a different story. Uh, I think New Orleans now is may actually be a better team than Green Bay, uh, but. Uh, that game, that cha- championship game, NFC championship game is going to be up in uh, some cold weather, and those dumb teams don't travel well. So I think Green Bay is going to have the advantage there. And then New England, it really depends on because, uh, you know, let's just assume for a second that uh, Baltimore does beat Texas. I think, you know, does Joe Flacco show up against that New England defense? Can, can, the, uh, can the Ravens uh, score enough points to – you know, I think New England's good for like 35 a game, 40 a game. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be tough too. So I'm not as confident on the AFC side. That's more of a question mark. Um, but uh, that New England, I'm sorry, the New Orleans Green Bay game is going to be really, really interesting. If that does come about. All right. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that I've just etched those in stone. Your predictions, okay, Brian Burke. I've etched those in stone. I, I will use those against you. Uh, as soon as possible. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for doing that, though. Uh, put yourself on the line, and also thank you for uh, for joining the uh, Fangraphs Audio. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Yeah, that's all right. Well, yeah, I wish you luck. I, you know, I, obviously, I like advanced level stats, I like writing there. When I write there, I like reading it. It's nerdy. You got a nice green color palette. Um, yeah. Which I think, you know, uh, which of course complements Fangraph's own. So I, I think those work well together. It's just uh, one of yeah, the many yeah. things in common. Uh, cool. All right. Well, that's great. Um, if we don't talk soon, then we'll talk later. But uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Okay. Thanks for having me, right. Carson. All right. That's uh, Brian Burke. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph's Audio. <laughs> <laughs>